We're continuing this morning in our series, What Grace Is This? We mentioned uh, when we began this series that there are but four verses in the New Testament with the phrase, this grace. Each is written by the Apostle Paul and identify four areas of the grace of God at work in the believer's life. We've already looked at the first two, amazing grace in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, available grace in Romans chapter 5 at verse 2, today abundant grace, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, and then the abiding grace, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 19. We're going through this series not only for the uh, purpose of learning about God's grace, but to see how it might be more effective and at work in our lives as believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'd like to read verses 7 through 15 this morning to get the context, if you will, of our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. The scripture reads, Therefore... As ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich." And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not." For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Chapters 8 and 9 deal with the Apostles' Collection for the Judean Saints. This was an offering to aid the members of the church at Jerusalem in a time of hardship due to a famine that was in the land. Paul's exposition on giving in these two chapters, I believe, is the most comprehensive one on this subject found in the Word of God. For in these two chapters, Paul identifies the principles of giving in chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, the purposes for giving in verses 7 through 15, the policies in giving, chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5, and the promises in giving, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. But here in our text today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, the scripture reads, Therefore... As ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Our text, that verse, demonstrates the phrase, this grace is speaking specifically of the grace of giving. However, we also see the phrase, this grace, is tied to five other Christian graces in the context, and we're actually going to approach this passage 
in two separate messages with the hope of adequately addressing the message Paul is conveying to the Christian saints. So today, we're going to consider these first five Christian graces that Paul lists, and next Sunday, we'll deal specifically with this grace, the subject of giving. So by way of introduction, this chapter begins with Paul praising the believers throughout Macedonia for their faith in God and their exuberance in serving Christ. Notice, if you will, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power... I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. As Paul calls attention to the blessings these believers throughout Macedonia have been to others, he also points out that the Corinthian believers had great strength. Paul proceeds to list their areas of maturity and excellence, and he challenges them to a higher level of growth in the area of giving, and he uses the testimony of these churches in Macedonia as a challenge to the Corinthian believers. This is one of the responsibilities of every one of God's pastors and every preacher of righteousness to challenge Christians to a higher level of spiritual growth and maturity. Paul acknowledges that they abounded in everything. As we begin here, the word abound, it means to exist in abundance, to overflow, to excel, to be excellent, to superabound, or to have more than enough. One writer states, this word was used to describe a flower going from the budding stage to full bloom. What a beautiful picture of what took place in the Corinthian church. Well, in this verse, Paul listed five important areas where they excelled. They abounded in Christian growth and beautifully bloomed. We're going to look at those five areas this morning, and then next Sunday, we'll move on to the sixth in regard to that grace of giving. And then, uh, as spoke earlier, the following passage, the fourth, which we'll go ahead and look at in two Sundays. But notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, as we begin here, the Corinthian believers abounded in the Christian grace of faith. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith... They excelled in their faith in Christ, and as such, their confidence in God was an example to others. Of these Christian graces, faith is mentioned first, because faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the root of all Christian growth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, a passage we looked at at the beginning of this year, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Down in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, we note 
But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Our faith is a trust, it's a confidence, it's a reliance upon the Lord of a realm which we cannot experience with our five senses. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. We, by faith, accept this as being God's word. We, by faith, accept that the instructions set forth in this Bible are to be obeyed by us as his children. And by faith, we look forward to him fulfilling all of the promises that he thus made in his word. By faith, we have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins and salvation of our soul. By faith, we are trusting for guidance and direction through life's journey. And by faith, we are trusting Christ to one day call us home that we might spend all eternity with him. Like the Corinthian believers who abounded in faith in Christ we as well are expected to do the same. It seems as though many today will trust Christ with their eternal soul, yet struggle to trust him on a daily basis. Why do we find it so difficult to trust Christ for strength for the day? Someone said the real test of our faith is how we respond when our faith is really tested. A shipbuilder doesn't know how well a ship will do until it's afloat. Our faith will be tested as we go through this life. And as our faith is tested, it will reveal, first of all to us, as well as to others, how effective and how sincere it really is. You know, there's a lot said about hurricanes and hurricane-resistant buildings here in South Florida, especially this time of year. You hear that a lot on the news these days. But the fact remains, no amount of talk is adequate to prove a building's strength. What's it going to take to prove whether or not a building can withstand a hurricane? Yeah, it's going to take a storm. It's going to take a big one. Why? Because the claim that that building can withstand gale force winds or hurricane force winds cannot be proven as a fact until those winds blow. And just as with the structure's ability to withstand the forces of nature is revealed when tested, so as a Christian, our faith in Christ is revealed when the trials of life come our way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Solomon is telling us, listen, trust God. Things may not go the way you want, the way you expect, the way you hope, the way you plan, the way you wish, but God is in control. And if you follow him, you trust him, you obey him, you believe that he will do right in your life, you will find that that's the right choice. You know, you never make a mistake in choosing to follow God and trust in him. The hymn writer Edgar Stiles put it this way in the song, Trusting Jesus. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him whate'er befall, 
trusting Jesus, that is all. Those Corinthian believers abounded in faith. And we as well have the same responsibility placed upon us that we also would abound in this grace known as faith. But you know, the fact is, those who abound in faith will abound in other graces also. It serves as a stepping stone to other areas of service. And we see that as Paul continued in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. He says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance, these Corinthian believers excelled or abounded in the Christian grace of utterance or their communication, their speech. The Corinthian believers excelled in communicating the gospel as such and were an example to others. The word utterance means a word, speech, discourse, discussions with others, or doctrine. You see, these Corinthians did excel in their message to those in darkness. They knew how to share their faith in Christ and explain their doctrinal beliefs. They might have struggled in other areas, but nonetheless, they were faithful in telling others about Christ. We all have our faults, our shortcomings, and our weaknesses. One of those should not be our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ and our sharing the good news with others. I believe with Oswald Chambers, who is credited with saying, the good news is only good to those whom it reaches in time. We need to be faithful in our witness. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9 says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul writing to the Colossians in chapter 4 verse 3, we see, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in bonds. Faith emphasizes what I believe. Utterance emphasizes what I say about what I believe. You see, the Corinthian believers learned what this meant when Paul was with them. He provided an example in this area that they could follow. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Bible says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in meekness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? Verse 5 tells us that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul preached and taught the word of God that those people might hear the truth, accept it, apply it to their lives, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd ask you, do we, like the Corinthian believers, excel in communicating the message of salvation to others? Do we abound in this grace? Do we understand that there are commands and instructions set forth in the Word of God that are not merely options, 
to be exercised, but they are commands to be obeyed, such as Mark chapter 16, verse 15, wherein Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Christ declared that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. Oh, we are to be ones who will speak for the glory of God and declare to others, thus saith the Lord. There are many false prophets, false teachers, there are many false messages, there are many misleading and misguiding individuals out there, doctrines, philosophies, ideologies that are contrary to the Word of God. People today need to hear the truth of God's Word, and they need to hear it from us as God's people. These Corinthian believers excelled, abounded in this matter of utterance, in this matter of their speech. For the Lord, we ought to do the same as well. Do you know sometimes great talkers, great thinkers, are not always great doers? That's why we're admonished be ye doers of the word and not hearers only by James. But you know that wasn't the case with the Corinthians. As we continue on, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, we come to this third grace. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and in knowledge, they excelled, abounded in the Christian grace of knowledge. You see, the first dealt with their confidence in the Lord. The second dealt with their communication of the gospel. The third deals with their comprehension of the scripture. The word knowledge means understanding, moral wisdom for right living, and the general knowledge of the Christian faith. This knowledge deals with the facts and exercises the ability to apply what we know, the doctrines, the teachings, the instructions of the Word of God, the ability to apply what we know to the issues of life. This is practical knowledge. We see that in the book of Proverbs as we've been looking at that in Sunday school. The emphasis there is that God sets forth instructions and we demonstrate our wisdom in that we accept that instruction, we understand it, we comprehend it, and we apply it to our everyday lives. Practical knowledge, it has to do with knowing what to do in the day-to-day situations that arise, and it has to do with being able to make practical application of the truth to your life. doesn't do much good to have facts and information if you don't know what to do with them. It doesn't help if we see the truths of the Word of God, but we don't know how to apply them to our lives. See, the doctrines Paul taught these Corinthian believers affected their behavior. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 if you would. I'd like you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul taught these people the word of God and it changed the way they lived. We see this evidenced in many passages, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, I'd like you to notice this. Paul writes, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes through this litany of characteristics of the wicked, the unregenerate, and says they're not going to get to heaven. They're not saved. But then he goes on to say in verse 11, and such were some of you, but, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What happened? Paul preached to them the word of God. He told them there was forgiveness for their sin if they only repented and received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as they heard, they listened, they believed, they received Christ as their Savior, and it changed them. That's why he could write to them and say, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We change from the old to the new when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's the word of God that changes us. It's not our determination. It's not our self-will. It's not a matter of self-regeneration, turning over a new leaf or choosing to walk a new way. No, it is in receiving Christ and allowing Him to make us a new creature. He lifts our feet out of the miry clay and sets us on the solid rock. He gives us a new song. He puts a song in our heart. He gives us a new hope, a new home, a new desire. It is the Word of God that changes us. And Paul calls attention to the fact that their knowledge of the truth led them to be impacted by it. What great grace they demonstrated in showing that they grew and became like the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of knowing God's word and receiving it, applying it to their lives. You see, because they abounded in the grace of utterance, They were very effective in communicating the truth of God to others. But more importantly, they lived what they believed. 1 Corinthians 1.6, Paul wrote, Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. It's one thing to talk a good talk, but it's another thing altogether to walk a good walk. Far too many Christians today miss out on the importance of, of living like they believe, of conforming to the Lord Jesus Christ and being like Him rather than being conformed to the world. The Bible tells us, come out from among them and be ye separate. It tells us to touch not the unclean. It tells us to flee fornication and many, many, many other instructions. The only way those things are going to be effective in our life, those instructions in the Word of God, is that we read them, believe them, and apply them. The Corinthian believers did exactly that. And by the way, that's a responsibility that's been passed on to every one of us as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 tells us, And the things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He said, you've come to believe this great truth that Jesus Christ is God. He's changed your life and made a new creature. Now take that message 
and give it to others. That they in turn can receive it, can be changed, can be born again and made anew and grow in Christ. So that they can take that message and give it to others and so on. And that chain is to be an unbroken chain of the declaration of God's glory and God's word down through the ages. Someone has asked, does what we believe affect our behavior? Albert Nock is credited with saying, the mind is like the stomach. It's not how much you put in that counts, but how much it digests. The Word of God is meant to be more than just general information that's stored away in the mind of mankind. No, it's supposed to filter down to the heart and change us and make us like Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. The key there was, and such were some of you. What a great change took place in their life. And it took place because of their knowledge of the Word of God. What a great grace. John Wooden, coach of UCLA basketball for many years, said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. So many of us think we know so much, but oh, we need to let the Word of God change our minds and our hearts and that we might be convinced, as Paul writes in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. God's Word is absolutely true and is to be received as such. The Corinthian believers excelled in this grace of knowledge, and we ought to as well. Faith emphasizes what I believe, Utterance emphasizes what I say about what I believe. Knowledge emphasizes what I understand about and do with what I believe. Those who have great knowledge and ready utterance are not always the most diligent Christians. But again, that wasn't the case of the Corinthians. For Paul continues adding to this list back in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence. You see, they excelled in the grace of the commitment to do the will of God, and as such, provided to be good examples to others. The Corinthians had grown in the area of diligence. Diligence means haste, speed, enthusiasm, energy, or earnestness in accomplishing or striving after something. You see, they were putting their faith into action and doing so with great enthusiasm. Abraham Lincoln supposedly said he likes to go and hear a preacher that looks like he's fighting a swarm of bees. He likes to sit and listen to someone preach that has something to say and believes what he's talking about. You know, the Word of God has quite a bit to say about us and our conduct in this area of being enthusiastic of our service to the Lord. Christians, we're not supposed to be old deadhead, old dried, dull, interestless people. We're not supposed to go around with listless type personalities. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 says whatsoever thy hand findeth to do do it with thy might 
For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. So there's coming a time when you won't be able to serve the Lord. There's coming a time when you won't be able to do the work of God. Get with it today. Romans 12, 11, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Ephesians 5, 16, Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And to the Colossians, Paul wrote in chapter 3, verse 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Our testimony ought to be such that we can be seen working not for ourselves, not for others, but for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His honor and His glory. I've shared this with you before, one of my favorite cartoons from many years ago cartoon character called Herman, a frumpy old fella and just had all kinds of terrible traits and stuff. And uh, this one that I like especially is Herman. He's sitting in a cubicle in an office building, little walls around it. You know, his boss is standing there with his arm, forearm resting up on the top of that cubicle wall, looking at him and he's saying, how come you're not working? Herman's response was, because I didn't see you coming. And for a lot of people, we're not actively serving the Lord because we don't recognize. He's standing there looking over our shoulder, watching what we're doing. Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. The night cometh when no man can work. Beloved, the Corinthians were busy about what they were doing, giving us the example to follow. We, in turn, ought to abound, excel in this Christian grace of diligence, of our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith emphasizes what I believe. Utterance emphasizes what I say about what I believe. Knowledge emphasizes what I understand about and do with what I believe. Diligence, here you go emphasizes how enthusiastically I do what I understand about what I believe. There's a mouthful for you. We're to be faithful in the small things, for we never know when God will require more of us. You see, to whom much is given, much is required. Someone has said, do what has to be done, do it when it has to be done, and do it right. The fifth and last of these graces back in our text, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us. The Corinthian believers abounded in their compassion for the Apostle Paul, for the saints of God. Certainly a good example for us to follow also. It is possible to be saved, to be doctrinally sound, and to active in serving the Lord, but lacking in our love for God and for those who are serving the Lord. Being right about what we believe and being busy in the service of the Lord is no substitute for doing so because of love. Paul addressed this again to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verse 1, he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. When it comes to the abundant grace that these saints possessed in so many areas, love was not absent from that list. Christ not only affected their heads, he affected their hearts. As a result, we recognize such love comes from God and God alone. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we read, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Has the Lord affected your heart? Do we abound in our love for others? Jesus himself stated, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John wrote in 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Oh, love with sincerity. Love with a genuineness that will be recognized by others. In 1 John 4.20, he wrote, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Someone has written, It is no chore for me to love the whole world. My only real problem is loving my next door neighbor. You see, our Christianity ought to affect every aspect of our life. These Christian graces ought to be evident in every area of our life. Paul emphasized the abundant grace of God at work in the lives of these Corinthian believers in the area of their confidence, their communication, their comprehension, their commitment, and their compassion. And then he moves on to say, abound in this grace also, the grace of giving, which we'll get to next week. These five areas that we've covered this morning, if we'd stop and ask ourselves, how are we doing in these matters? Faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, love. There is an abundance of God's grace available to everyone who will choose to exercise faith in him and allow him to work in and through them as his saints. Are we willing to allow that abundant grace of God to be evident in our lives? We close with this illustration. When the Japanese launched their attack against the Philippines shortly after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, U.S. and Filipino troops were on those islands and were totally unprepared for the attack. They bravely fought on the peninsula of Tan, slowing down the enemy and making him pay heavy losses. However, those American and Philippine troops waited in vain for reinforcements to arrive. None were available, and as a result, they were overrun. Of those 75,000 Filipino and American troops that were taken prisoner, they were forced to march 65 miles to the prison camps and then put on trains and taken elsewhere. 
literally tens of thousands of those men died as a direct result of the brutality, starvation, and disease that they endured during that time. That march became known as the Bataan Death March. That was an embarrassment for the United States. But a year or so later, the U.S. was ready to launch its great offensive in the Solomon Islands. The papers that bore the news of the great battles raging on Guadalcanal also published an assurance from the Secretary of War. This is what he stated. There's twice as much food as the soldiers can eat. There's twice as much ammunition as the soldiers can fire. There are twice as many nurses and doctors as would ordinarily be needed in any military engagement. There are twice as many medical supplies as could be used. There are twice as many airplanes as are possessed by the enemy. We are prepared for every contingency. Most certainly we can say the method in which the Lord provides for all of our needs is like that of Guadalcanal. God never had a baton in all of his dealings with the sons of men. We as God's children can enjoy the abundance of his provision. These great graces are available to us in such a quantity that we would never be able to use all that God has made available to us. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. God has done a great work in the lives of each of us. Certainly, we ought to seek, to desire, to pursue these great graces that they in turn might work in our lives in every situation that others may be reached with the truth of the gospel as we prepare for our home in heaven.